Well, we are here this morning together with no power, but we have, uh, I think, three or four generators running, and uh, I like to just say the Holy Spirit's running all this, but that's not true. Um, but I think it's so great that we're all here, that some of us have power, some of us don't, and I think it's so awesome, the goodness of God. Because, you know, the windstorm knocked out our power, but could not shake our faith in Jesus. And that as a community of believers, we're here worshiping him. That the windstorm blew out our heat, but could not blow out our hope in Christ. And so we're meeting here today doing these condensed three services. And it's funny how you can start a week thinking it's going to go a certain way. Me and my wife thought about that many times, like, we thought today was going to go a certain way. And then our power went out. And then we're like, well, we'll come back on tomorrow. No, it never did. And so it's easy to, to like get it, uh, our own schedule and stuff in our mind and go like, this is how my week's going to go. And sometimes it's crazy how we don't acknowledge the fact that really God is in complete control. And it's up to him how our week goes. And so... In light of this storm, you know, many of you are here, and I believe that God can still use the tragedies that's happened for good, and that we're here for a reason. God has brought you here, because God is always in control. And so, we've got to have a short service, so I've got to move on, all right? Here we go. The, in light of this series that we're in called Things Jesus Never Said, and since it's the week of Thanksgiving... I was thinking of things that people never say on Thanksgiving. Is it okay if I share with you a few thoughts that I thought that things people never say on Thanksgiving? Here we go. First one. Kids, come quick. The dog show's on. No one says that. Next one. I really hope the Cowboys win today. No one says that. Next thing people never say on Thanksgiving is... Can you pass the tofurkey, please? No one says it. <laughs> Lastly, things people never say on Thanksgiving is, I'm so thankful for the massive savings I scored today shopping at the mall. <laughs> we don't go shopping on Thanksgiving, do we? No, thankful for the savings, come on. Well, we've all learned to believe certain things about the Bible or about things Jesus never actually said. And sometimes they can kind of be in our heart and in our life, and we can live it out thinking, this is what the Bible says, and, and that's what it is. Just like my son, uh, who's three years old, Grant. We, you know, he's been trying to grasp this idea of God for a while now, and somehow he picked up a little bit of unorthodox theology in his three years. I've been teaching Grant how Jesus lives in our heart. Yet at the same time, we've also been training Grant to use the potty. And so mixed, somehow mixed up in this, he got some unorthodox theology. So he came up to me one day, and I was thinking he was getting it, the thing that you know Jesus lives in, in his heart. And so I said, Grant, where does Jesus live? And he says, well, Jesus lives in our heart, Daddy. And I go, well, that's right, Grant. And he goes, well, unless I pee-pee in my pull-up. Then Jesus doesn't live in my heart anymore. And I was like, no, 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 that's not true. But sometimes we pick up or learn things that just aren't true about 
Jesus. And you know, there's kind of this lie or misconception that maybe we don't talk about much, um, but it's kind of crept into our lifestyles, which is something to the effect of this, that it's okay to not love certain people. Now, this might not be a theology that we talk about much and go, well, I don't know about that. Like, I'm, whatever. But anyways, and, and it's, we're living a tolerant nation, right? And we're Christians. We're supposed to love everyone and other people. But somehow this kind of lie has crept into our lifestyle and into our minds and into our hearts. And in fact, I would say we live in a day and an age it's, it's almost acceptable to criticize, condemn, and judge other people. For, for me, you know, it was my, uh, a neighbor that I used to live by, in my old neighborhood. We'll call this neighbor Tanya, how about? She was a single mom with uh, one child, her son. And uh, Tanya, she was a drug addict. Um, it was common for her to be on drugs. Um, it was common for her to leave her son outside for prolonged periods of time. It was common for her to come to our door asking for things or for money. It was common... Uh, uh, for her to leave her son out, and then we would ultimately end up sitting with her son. And as I, you know, we would sit there with her son, sometimes feeling hopeless for this boy. And I found myself resenting her. I found myself resenting this lady, not wanting to reach out to her, not wanting to serve her, because she was hurting people. She was involved in a sinful lifestyle. And worst of all, she was mistreating her son. And so we lived by Tanya for four years. And I could honestly say in those four years, I did not love her well. And, most, and probably what's really true is I didn't love her at all. And then one day, Tanya overdosed. Her son came to our door scared. The ambulance took her away. We sat with her son, trying to calm him down until someone else came and picked him up. And then I never saw Tanya again. Now, as I share that story with you, maybe someone will pop into your mind who's someone you interact with on a regular basis, that they live a lifestyle that you just do not agree with. It is a sinful lifestyle, or the way they do stuff is not how I would do things. And it's hard for you, and it's difficult to love that person. And so for maybe for you, a Tanya pops into your mind. They go, yes, there is a person like that, and you know who that is. But, you know, we can also not love people by what we say and how we say things. And you guys know what this is right here, right? This is a, a megaphone. Anyone ever seen the guy on the street with the megaphone yelling at you? Never encounter a guy like that that's like, you're a sinner. Repent. God hates divorce. God hates sexual immorality. You're wrong. You've ever seen that guy before that you're just like, man, take a chill pill, bro. And maybe he's got like a sandwich sign that says something like, you know, God hates gay people or whatever it is. You've ever seen that guy before? Do we feel like that guy loves well? Have you ever felt if you've encountered that guy on your campus at your school, if you've encountered that guy maybe in, here in Spokane or another city, that he loves you? That guy loves me there. I don't think so. And so you might be sitting here going like, all right, Nate, um, get the, mega, the megaphone thing, but I don't walk around with a megaphone yelling at people. Like, what's the point? Here's the point, is that we have something far more powerful than this. We have something far more powerful than this, be, and because this speaks to a crowd. But you know what we have is we have these. These are called cell phones. This speaks to a crowd 
but your cell phone speaks to the world. And we have something far more powerful. This is the modern day megaphone. You're all walking around with one. Every one of us has this. And then we speak to more people than the dude with the crowd. And so you might go, I, 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 just, I love people. What are you talking about? Well, then why do the things we post on social media represent what we're saying to the world, the modern-day megaphone? So you go, I, you know, I love people perfectly fine. Then why did you say that about Syrian refugees? Why did you say that, that was, that's not right? Why, why do Christians say, why would you say, no, I love people, then why did you say that thing about your ex-boyfriend, your ex-fiance? Why did you say that about gay people? This is the modern-day megaphone. And what you say, it means something. This speaks to the world when that speaks to the crowd. And we all feel, and I feel like we can all come to the conclusion of like, this guy doesn't love people well. Does he? So then why does this guy love people well? The modern day megaphone. It can be easy to go through our life posting things, you know, government, celebrities, whatever it is. It's a powerful tool. So what do we want to say to the world? Not just a crowd. What are we saying to the world? How are you loving people? I say... What we give the world is love. And I say we give God's grace. And I say we give God's faithfulness. And I say we give the world Jesus. That's what I say. We give the world Jesus. So if we're going to give the world Jesus, then what did Jesus actually say about loving people? If we're going to give the world Jesus, what did he actually say? And so we don't have screens up here. So you, who brought their Bible? Awesome, you get candy after service. <laughs> Who didn't bring their Bible? You're not going to get a star on the chart after church, all right? Works in kids' ministry, all right? We're going to read out of Matthew 22, 37 through 40. If you got your phone, you can take that out and follow along that way. Or if you brought your Bible, you can follow along as well. We're going to look at the greatest commandment, which Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, verse 37. Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. We are to love God with all our heart, all our mind, and with all our soul. With every ounce of our being, we are to love God. Next is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. Not love God and love certain people. Love God and love people. If you remember maybe where Jesus is talking to the lawyer in the book of Luke about this greatest commandment, and he's like, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? I travel a lot. And Jesus says, and he goes into this, the passage of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you know that story. And kind of the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan is everyone's your neighbor. Everyone you come in contact with in the entire world, they are your neighbor. So you, wait, you're saying that I'm supposed to 
love God with all I am, with all my mind, my soul, my heart. I don't even know the difference between those. What is my heart, my soul, and my mind? Professionals don't even know the difference between the difference between your heart, your soul, and your mind on a spiritual, psychological level. I'm supposed to love God with every ounce of my being in ways that I don't even understand, and I'm supposed to love every single person in this entire world that I come in contact with? Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. I can't do that. Probably not. So then if we're going to love God with everything we have and love every person we come in contact with, well, how do we love people? How do you, what is loving someone that you meet on the airplane? What is loving someone that you meet like in the store, your neighbor, the Tanya? What is loving someone that's sitting next to you at church look like? Is it giving them a cup of coffee? Is it passing the donut to them? You know, do I buy them the a la carte meal on the airplane? Do I, do I help cut a tree down in their yard? Do I, do I smile? Do I say nice things? What is loving someone? And I think Jesus' ministry clearly showed us. And Paul really writes it really eloquently, really well in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Maybe you know this verse. We hang it on our walls when we first get married. But let, let's read that together. If you'll turn there, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow, what a wonderful piece of scripture. But I read that, I get tired. I need to go back to premarital counseling. That's tough. Can't do that. I want to go home now. What's interesting about this book is that Paul's writing to Christians, these new, new founded Christians in the city of Corinth and the, the Corinthian church, and he hears these rumors that they're not loving well. And so the city of people, there was this like Jesus movement that swept through. But, and then they started being this community of Christians, and they thought that they were maybe doing the right thing. But then Paul is really showing them, you know, actually what you're doing is not. Paul is showing this group of Christians the single most important and dis distinguishing factor of a Christian community. And it's not its discipline. It's not its devotion. It's not its worship or its music. It's not its preaching or its style, but it is how it loves. And Paul is saying, you're not loving well. And so I read this and I go, you know, this isn't just for the, for the Corinthian church because all those people are up in heaven now, that this is really for us. And I think Paul could maybe say to us as well, like, you know what, you're not loving well. And you know, this is a really beautiful passage, passage of scripture but really, it's actually a rebuke to the Corinthian church. He's actually saying like, you know, um, are you guys patient? So I'm supposed to be patient all the time? Yeah. Are you, are, are you guys really kind to each other? 
no, you're rude and you're, you're irritable and you resent others and you're selfish. We're not selfish, are we? No, not at all. Of course we're selfish. I'm selfish all the time. Paul's saying you're, you're selfish. But it's all woven together with these words that Paul uses, and he uses this one word a lot called all. He says all faith, all knowledge, all, all. And he ends with love bears all things, and it believes all things, and it hopes all things, and it endures all things, all, everything. So I'm supposed to be patient all the time? Yeah. I'm supposed to be kind all the time? Yeah. I'm supposed to never be selfish? Yeah. I'm supposed to bear all things all the time, everywhere? Yeah, you are. I'm supposed to believe and hope all the time? Yeah. Now read this, and I get tired. I don't know about you, I get tired. I, go, I can't do that. Maybe there's some overachievers in the room, you're like, let's do it. Let's get, make the list and let's achieve goals. Oh, you're not going to achieve this. You can't do that. But it would be easy to leave church this morning and go, you know what? I just need to be more patient. That's what I got out of it. You know, I've, I've read, I've heard 1 Corinthians 13 before. And I need to be more patient. I need to be a more patient person. I probably need to be more kind. You know what I got out of it is I just need to be less selfish. I need to be, uh, I need to not be as rude anymore. That's what I got out of it. That's what it is for me. I see that list. You know, I'm good at some of the things. And I'm bad at some of the things. I just need to not be as rude. It'd be easy to think that what Paul's actually saying is, come on, guys. Don't be selfish. Don't be rude. Come on, do better. It'd be easy to think that that is what Paul's saying. It's just, come on, be better at loving. Really? I think Paul is writing this list. Not just, it's not just a list to get better at. It's not just a list that you hang on your wall when you first get married. You see this love that he's talking about, all the words in this passage to love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love endures all things. This word that he's using is the word agape. And it's a Greek word that is this, it's the highest form of love, which is this divine supernatural love. It's unconditional, it's relentless, it's this God-given love. It's not just, you know, the patient, kind love. It's this passionate relentless, limitless, unconditional, supernatural love. It's this agape love. Agape is patient and kind, and it endures all things, all the time, and it believes all things. And then there's this other type of love that you see in the Bible. It's this other Greek word called phileo. And phileo is this Greek word for, like, romantic or brotherly love. It's what we know really well, like you date or you marry. That's phileo love. Or you're here at church because you love your mom and she brought you. That's phileo love. Or you, you helped a neighbor out because they had a tree down in their lawn. That's phileo love. And the Corinthians at this time, they weren't even good at the phileo love. They weren't even good at that. And so what you're, Paul is asking them is, you're saying that I'm not just supposed to get good at phileo. I'm supposed to be good at agape? I'm not even good at phileo. I'm just trying to have a semi-peaceful Thanksgiving lunch because my in-laws are in town. And I'm supposed to be good at agape love? What are you talking about? How am I supposed to do that? This relentless, passionate, unconditional, always forgiving love. Maybe this love that Paul is showing us is really the depth of change He's proposing that needs to take place in our hearts. He's showing us how deep the change is. That we cannot do that by ourselves. 
I cannot have that type of love on my own doing. Plus, I'm supposed to love God with my entire being, all my heart, all my mind, all my strength. This relentless agape love. Maybe what Jesus was saying and what Paul was writing about is to help us understand that we need to come to the end of ourselves. That God was always trying to be, bring man to the end of himself. Saying, I can't do this. God, are you serious? You want me to love people, this agape style love? I can't do that. God would say, I know you can't. I know you can't do that. I, I, I can't love my neighbors and this and that and everything. I know you can't. I was hoping you would maybe come back to me. Because it's not about trying more. That's just goal setting. This crazy, ridiculous love that Jesus was trying to explain to us is not about trying more, but it's about being transformed. Because unless you encounter this agape-style love from God and encounter Jesus, you'll never be able to love like what Jesus was saying. You cannot do it. And wouldn't it be just like God to say, I want your life to be defined by something you cannot do on your own? Thanks, God. Wouldn't it be just like him to say that? That your life is going to be defined by something you cannot do on your own, and that is love. John also writes about the love of God, and I think this sums it completely up for us. 1 John 1, 7 through 12 says this. And again, this is that agape-style love. We love it. Let us love one another. Let us relentlessly, unconditionally love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is agape. God is relentless, passionate, unconditional love. That is who God is. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved, agape us and sent his love to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then I love this. John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and in his love is perfected in us. I love that John says, no one has seen God. But if you know him, if you've been born again, and you'd be transformed, if we love one another, God then abides in us, and people see God in you and in me. And I want to love like Jesus has loved me. And people will know we are Jesus' followers by our love if we've been transformed and if we continually be transformed and not just try, but we are actually transformed. Tanya should have seen love through me. She should have seen that. But I was too hard to say I can't be transformed in this area. And we cannot do it on our own. We need to be transformed, and they will know we are Jesus' followers by our love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you 
for your goodness and your faithfulness and your love for us. God, help us not just love people and try harder, God, but help us stop trying and come to you and say, it's not about me trying more. It's about me not trying more and coming to you and allowing you to transform my life and love through me. Thank you, God. Thank you for this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, everyone, you have a great rest of your week. Give someone some love on your way out. Give them a hug. Give them a handshake. Grab some coffee. We'll see you next week.